Welcome to the U.S. Physiatry Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Lupinacci, Chief Medical Officer. And I'm Craig DiTomaso, the Director of Early Career Physician Development, and we will be your host. Physical medicine and rehabilitation is a dynamically evolving specialty with an increasingly challenging and sometimes tumultuous medical world. This podcast is designed to present you with an analysis of facts, expert opinions, and current challenges in the practice of physiatry. U.S. Physiatry is a large and diverse group, and our intent is to present an equally diverse spectrum of viewpoints. It is our perspective that we, as a specialty, must approach these issues with honesty and optimism to advocate to the patients we care for. Our intent is to partner with our colleagues to advance our specialty and to improve your work lives at all stages of your practice. If you have any further comments, questions, or concerns, please contact us at Mike Lupinacci at usphysiatry.com or Craig DiTomaso at usphysiatry.com. We welcome your feedback, questions, and comments, and thank you for listening. I've been instructed to start this session with the following. Each view expressed today is solely the view of the person expressing that view. You should not interpret what you hear today as the opinion or advice of U.S. Physiatry, post-acute physicians, or any of their managers, officers, or other representatives. In addition, you should not interpret what you hear today as professional, medical, legal, business, or other advice for you in particular. If you are seeking that type of advice or opinion, you should speak directly with your own professional advisor. That person will know your particular facts and circumstances. We take very seriously the medical advice our professionals provide to our patients, and that advice is always focused exclusively on that individual patient, taking into account all the facts and circumstances facing that patient after a thorough examination. With those caveats, we can begin. Welcome, everyone, today to the U.S. Physiatry Podcast. We're very pleased to have you back again, as we've had a number of podcasts on Spotify and on Apple as well. So today we have a really interesting topic in physical medicine and rehabilitation, and we're going to dive down into the topic of leadership in physical medicine and rehabilitation and the future of leadership as the needs of our healthcare system have evolved. This is, I know for the three of us here on the podcast, a very important and meaningful topic uh, for many reasons, which we'll get into. I wanted to welcome our amazing guest today, and I'm so excited to have Dr. Kathy Bell uh, on the podcast. Uh, I'll get to her bio in a moment. Uh, Kathy and I have worked, we actually kind of grew up in the uh, AAPMNR in the uh, volunteer part of it and the leadership section. So as opposed to many of Kathy's colleagues, she and I are colleagues really from many, many years in the academy, which is a really fun way to develop a collegial relationship uh, for many reasons. So I'll just leave it there for brevity, but uh, I know Dr. Bell knows what I'm talking about. The career that Kathy has created has been nothing short of inspirational for all of us in the field. Uh, She's the professor and the former chair in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at UT Southwestern Medical Center 
and she holds the Kimberly Clark Distinguished Chair in Mobility Research. She was a professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine at the University of Washington uh, for 20 years, and then she moved on to UT Southwestern in September of 2014. Her research interests and publications have centered on the treatment and outcomes from traumatic brain injury, which include self-management techniques, post-traumatic headaches, sleep disorders, and exercise after TBI. And Dr. Bell's current interests include late effects of COVID-19 infection and, and treatment, concussion, and autonomic nervous system function after brain injury. She has been fun funded or has been an investigator on grants from NIH, NIDILRR, the Department of Defense, PCORI, and the CDC since 1998. She is the Distinguished Past President of the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and the Co-Director of the Texas Institute for Brain Injury and Repair and an investigator for the North Texas Concussion Registry and Co-Principal Investigator for the North Texas TBI Model System. So uh, we're, we're so pleased um, to have Kathy here as our guest expert in leadership and it will be clear why she is an expert and I as a friend and colleague can really gladly call her that in the field of leadership. So Kathy, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you, Mike. I'm uh, very pleased to be here with, uh, with you and Craig today, two of my favorite people. And you are, of course, my go-to person on leadership. So this will be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... Uh requires lots of support along the way, doesn't it? Um, so let's let's open up with a, to a topic. We have an array of topics, really, and you know they include, and I'll briefly outline for the listeners what's in store. Uh, we'll kind of look at the healthcare landscape for PM&R in the field of leadership, how the landscape is evolving, what our, what our needs are from our specialty in that domain why we have to step up and lead, what are the reasons that are motivating us to do this podcast, and we hope to motivate those who are inclined to step into leadership roles, uh, the value of early exposure to leadership and leaders, and the, what the qualities are that make a good leader, um, how to lead in large complex organizations that have their special challenges, and we'll take a look briefly at leadership styles and assessment of effectiveness of a leader. How does one assess that? We'll talk about uh, a little bit about real life challenges and then briefly about concepts of negotiation, conflict and personal branding. And then uh, the big question, which, which Craig is going to handle at the end is how do we balance the work of leadership? And it is indeed work with all of the other components of our life that make up our lives. So uh, we have a few things to cover. So this will be uh, really a fun and interesting podcast. So we hope to keep you engaged, whether you're running or on the road. And uh, obviously you're listening to this because you have some interest in, interest in leadership or you are leaders. And for those two qualities, we applaud you. So let's start out with... Um, Kathy, I know you're like the perfect person to ask about this for many reasons. And 
From a PM&R perspective, how would you describe the healthcare landscape today, how you've seen it evolved, and why is it amplifying the clear need for PM&R for physiatrists to step forward into leadership positions at all levels? Well, one thing Mike doesn't mention is one of the reasons I'm an ideal person for this is I've been around for so darn long. So I have seen an awful lot of changes in the you know landscape of healthcare and uh, the way it's been constructed. And of course, the one thing that you could say always is that there is no such thing as a steady state in healthcare, and there's always going to be change. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the qualities that someone has to consider in leadership positions. I think, you know, some of the some of the aspects of um, what's happening right now in the in the healthcare system um, that are are a little nerve wracking because we have examples of what has happened in the past um, when changes have come from this particular sector that are concerning. You, you know, we've been dealing over really the last ten to fifteen years with a lot of consolidation in the healthcare system. And, and initially that consolidation was coming from a variety of healthcare systems, mostly hospital-based systems or you know, either nonprofit uh, healthcare organizations, for-profit healthcare organizations, but from healthcare organizations that were consolidating, bringing practices together, you know, bringing institutions together under one umbrella. Um, and that had its own set of challenges facing those who were practicing in there. I, I think that one of the things that's happening now, which is both interesting and a little, a little concerning, is the entry into healthcare of private equity. And, uh, you know, the, um, I would say, more than initial efforts by private equity to um, ac um, acquire healthcare practices, some healthcare organizations, and these are private equity firms without healthcare grounding. So I think we now see kind of the entry into the healthcare field, um, the more of a for-profit, truly for-profit entity that does not have grounding in healthcare. And, and what that is going to mean is, is very interesting. I, I, their first efforts, I think, not surprisingly, are towards acquiring very high, high volume and high procedural uh, types of specialties or institutions, orthopedics, gastroenterology, cardiology, dermatology, you know, uh, things like that, um, and cancer centers, that that sort of thing where there's a there's really a high volume and a you know a high a high return on investment. One of the things that I think we're going to have to think about is first of all, how do we maintain kind of the quality and care and looking at outcomes and function and integrated healthcare in that environment in which I think we can expect there to be turnover in ownership of these healthcare entities at a more rapid pace than we have ever seen before. And what does that mean? So how do we maintain that focus on really the quality of care and the functional aspects of patient care, which is something that's not, doesn't come into those ROI metrics so clearly. Um, so how are we going to demonstrate those cost savings, the ability of physiatrists and PM&R to 
to cement, in many cases, loyalty of patient care. Um, uh, that's, that certainly has been one of my experiences in my career is that what happens with physiatry uh, glues some of our patients to their healthcare system. We are often, I often um, compare us to the folks that follow the horses in a parade. We clean up a lot of stuff that happens in healthcare systems um, and turn things around for patients. So um, I think it's going to be requiring a lot more upfront effort and thought on the part of physiatrists, physiatry groups, you know, even physiatrists in, in, in existing institutions on how to how to get ahead of this, how to start thinking about this in a very proactive way. I don't know what you think about that, Mike, but... I'm really fascinated by how you entered that into that question from the physician uh, perspective, right? Because we hear a lot about hospital acquisitions and consolidations, and that's on the hospital side, but the whole issue with uh, commoditizing physician care and where that goes is fast is fascinating to me and it's it's just you just made me worry a little bit more all of a sudden <laughs> so um but you're right i think there's that commoditization of physician services combined with the the discussion of value-based medicine right which is hard enough to establish a foothold in from demonstrating what we do um yeah, I think I think you. That's a really great description of the landscape, and here we are as PMNR. Well, you know, it's 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 really there's a lot of a lot of difficulties that we face in the space that we practice in. So, for instance, we advertise as we can cut down your length of stay, you know, and and in an acute care hospital and move patients through, through faster. But can we really? I mean, um, we were just chuckling about peer-to-peer -peer calls and can we really <laughs> cut down um, the length of stay? Uh, not always because, you know, then sometimes we get into these, you know, wrestling matches over who should come to an inpatient rehab unit and who should not, who should do this. So, so you know, I think that weirdly, while we should be able to perform that function, I think sometimes it's almost seen as more of a barrier when you're looking at that part of the environment. And maybe that's what's happening, you know, in ambulatory care as well. I mean, really, on the one hand, there's some pressure to do, say, non-operative management of spine, spine problems and spine pain. On the other hand, um, that's not where the profit is going to be. I mean, that's not where the bigger profit is going to be for private equity. Well, you, you just made an excellent case of why we need PM&R leaders at all levels, right? Because we're, if we're not at the table, no one's going to give right. our patients consideration Correct. as they should. Correct. That's the bottom line. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So let's just move into briefly um, the value of incorporating uh, leadership principles uh, and models early in the physiatrist's career. And I know you and I are kind of directly involved with that in the academy in a, in a couple of different ways. But I, I think it's good if you can make a comment on, uh, you know, that. You know, uh, physiatry is intrinsically a specialty 
that requires leadership skills. I mean, I think that we are, along with, say, surgical teams, the most team-oriented practice or uh, specialty area. So for us, we, we, there's no other way for us to practice. So that, that demands that you learn how to lead a team early. Um, it, maybe it's a little bit more obvious in, in an operating room, but honestly, we have to be able to lead that team as well. So, so, and include patients as stakeholders in that team, which is a little bit different than the operating room, right? So we have to be able to include community members in this, this team. So it's very important to start talking about leadership skills early on. Um, you know, career success is going to depend on some of those early leadership skills, things like reading the room, communication skills, managing up, um, learning how to establish. I think if my, my residents going out on consult services, they have to learn to establish collaboration with all of these other services. Um, and, and those are absolute sk skills. They have to understand their work environment. They have to understand that every hospital is, an, is, a, is a world unto itself and they need to understand how that world works in order to function well. And all of those are basic skills. But what we have to do is identify them for trainees as basic skills for leadership. They don't understand why they have to do some of these things. But I think if we put it into the capsule of you're learning leadership skills by doing this, it, it helps to kind of foster an infrastructure for them to start thinking about why they have to do things differently. Um, and, you know, we obviously need young physiatrists to develop an interest in leadership skills on a national level as well. I mean, that is so imperative. It's, it's um, to move the entire specialty forward. We can't do one physiatrist, one practice at a time and, and, and keep the whole, the whole specialty going forward. So, you know, that um, starting to learn early why parts of leadership are not, is everybody going to be the president of this or the CEO of that? Heck no, of course not. Is everybody going to be taking leadership skills and incorporating them into a successful career? Yes, they are. So I think that there's this spectrum of deployment of leadership skills. And I think we need to maybe start looking at it that way when we're talking to our trainees as well. Uh, briefly, when Craig and I present uh, to the residents, I am certain we have a common experience as they're really kind of glued to what we're telling them that has a bigger story than just the facts, right? How we organize our thoughts and presenting concepts. You know, you know, Craig's a natural leader and um, they are glued to every word we say. And it's just not about the content. It's about, you know, how, you know, Dr. DiTomaso and Dr. Lupinacci, what are they doing that gets them to this uh, level of uh, understanding of small and large issues in rehabilitation that require a driver. So that's, I, I think that's a common, that's, it's common to me and I'm certain it's common to you uh, uh, as well, Craig. I'm, I'm going to hand, hand it over to Craig. All right, Dr. Bell, I, I want to take a step back if we could and just ask you, you know, before we start talking about leadership and, and how it affects PM&R, how do you think we best define 
a leader and leadership. You know, what does that mean? We see people taking charge or being in charge of things at various times. When we really talk about leader, leading and in, in, in leadership and someone who's a leader, um, give us your thoughts about what that really means. Well, you could say, I mean, you could echo the sentiment that you know it when you see it, which was who Chief uh, Justice Potter Stewart talking about obscenity. Um, and, and certainly you can apply that in some ways that you know it when you see it. Um, sometimes that takes a little time for people to actually see it um, when people are deploying leadership skills. So, so that's not always 100% true. You don't always know it when you see it. You may know it eventually, but it may take some time to get to that point. Putting banners up doesn't work too well. You can't stick a banner up on your office and say, I'm a leader, you know, because uh, that's not very convincing either. Um, I, I think that understanding that taking a leadership role is, is really a commitment. Um, and and it's, it's a commitment to changing who you are in, the, in your practice world. Um, you, you know, you're no longer the sole uh, driver of what you do and how you do it. In fact, you, you probably have taken yourself down to a second level in terms of the priority of, of where you're going. I, I, take, I take the concept of servant leadership very seriously. And I, and I think that, you know, indeed the best leaders are those who understand their role as, as a servant to their, their, um, their entity that they're leading. I'm, I'm pretty hooked right now on the Hulu show, The Bear, and I think that if you want to look a little bit about leadership and deployment of leadership and fostering leadership, and and it's a great show to watch for that. I was just you know, watching it last night saying, yeah, I'm good. I like that, you know. So um, take a look at it. It's a pretty good show. Um, language is terrible, but it's a pretty good show. So I think that, you know, again, your goals are no longer... Um, the essentials of what of what you're about. Um, and I do think that that is going to impact your life on every level. And I think that, you know, I know we're going to come back to talking about that at the very end, but when you take a role on as a, as a leader, it will affect your life. It'll affect your professional life, but it's going to affect everything else too. And, um, you know, your family takes on a leadership role as well. Your, your community takes on a leadership role. So it, all of that comes in. I think that there are the ways that one displays leadership is through the behaviors that you demonstrate. And I think that those are behaviors of consistency and transparency. I know these are buzzwords, but it's true. Humility, being able to apologize, you know, being being able to demonstrate how you say you're sorry and how to admit you're wrong. But it's also being able to take that jump off the tall building when it's indicated. So you, you've got to be able to, you know, it's it's consistency, but it's also some circumspect risk-taking um, that you have to incorporate into this role as well. So all of those things are, are I think, very important in terms of how one, I guess, incorporates and communicates leadership to others. Mike, what do you think? And Craig, I mean, you guys are, have I missed some large quality that should be incorporated into that? I think you're spot on. Uh, by the way, I also love the bear for all the same reasons. 
totally Carmi's amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, he's a tortured but amazing leader. Yes. Um, and I personally think we should begin calling all the residents chef <laughs> because I chef. think it's a yes chef because it's a term oh, I've learned it's a term of respect and mm -hmm. it's for someone who's gaining mm -hmm. skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I get. So highly recommend you put it on your, your C list. Craig. Oh, I, I've been a bear fan since the first episode dropped. <laughs> oh, I should have known. I should have known. Inspired right, my uh, Italian beef trip through Chicago last summer. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was just struck by how much of uh, what you said, Dr. Bell, really echoed what Dr. S uh, Barry Smith said in a previous podcast. Because I do think this idea of being a servant, of putting the the needs and the wants of the team above yourself, is what kind of defines a leader. And it's reassuring to hear that you and he are, who you know, two of the best leaders uh, by far that I've met in my career, are so much on the same page on that. Mm -hmm. I think that really mm -hmm. speaks volumes. And then to your point, Mike, we kind of do that with doctor already, right? I always, when I work with residents or medical students, go out of my way to make sure I address them as doctor. And I tell them, yes, doctor, you're correct, doctor. This is a good plan, doctor. And I notice that they tend to do that back. And so uh, I think that I think we have our own culture uh, mimicking that already. But the transition to chef would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there was an edit on the same topic. There was an editorial in this week's JAMA on the use of the term provider to describe physicians. Mm. And it's, it's, it's quite pointed in that yeah. what we just discussed, right? You know, um, we are physicians. But anyways, I, I highly recommend a, it's a page editorial on that. Gotcha. Uh, the follow-up question for you, Dr. Bell, was, you know, so we talked a little bit about what we think defines a leader, and I appreciate your thoroughness on that. Um, are there ways to identify those people earlier in their careers? You know, I, in my role with you as physiatry, I work a lot with the early career physicians, either residents coming right out of uh, their education or, you know, the first, second year in private practice. How do we kind of hone in and help sharpen those people, if you have some thoughts on that? I thought that was a great question. And, you know, again, as soon as I thought of this, I thought of, oh, the bear. I think it illustrates a number of things. You can teach people a lot of skills. There are some things it's very hard to unteach. Um, it's very hard to unteach an arrogant person. Um, so I, I hate to lead off with the negative, but it's very hard to unteach somebody who knows everything. So, you know, that's, and those people often think they're leaders. They often want to be leaders and they often think they're leaders. And sometimes you can work with that, but it's a little harder, I think, to unteach than it is to teach. I mean, you can teach people how to build skills that'll help them be more comfortable in speaking up and speaking out and negotiating and getting rid of verbal tics and and you know, even courage. I mean, you can you can even mentor courage in people, but it's hard to get rid of some innate personality problems that some people have. Um, I, I think obviously someone who has a good interpersonal IQ is somebody who has the potential to develop leadership skills. If again, they can read the room, if they come in knowing how to do that, that's really, uh, that's really help. Um, I, I do think that we have to actively foster the growth of leadership though in people that might not initially look that way 
Um, and I'm, th you know, I'm thinking I'm a woman. Um, you know, I've spent much of my life being underestimated uh, by people um, and by myself, because even though I had some qualities, there are other qualities that were not nurtured because that's, I wasn't going to be a leader, right? So I do think we have to, you know, really be careful to not hone in too much on people who have kind of flashy skills and start looking at those other people to say, you know, why, why aren't they showing this? I mean, provided they don't have those, those huge negatives in their personality, what's going on here? Are there qualities there that we can, we can foster and we can help um, them to bring forward? Um, so, you know, I think again, women, people coming from under-resourced backgrounds who've never had the opportunity to lead and who have been, again, underestimated their whole life. Um, and sometimes it does take that growth and maturity to recognize that you have that ability to lead. You may need some time to be convinced of that. So, so while I do think there are, you know, you could list some things that would be, you know, kind of a shining lights of saying, I'm a potential leader. I think that when you're a leader, you have to spend a little more time thinking, really examining everybody and saying, does that person have it? You know, what do they have? Is there something there that you don't see on first glance? And, and I think that that's, you know, that's always what I took my annual evaluation. I always took my opportunity in my annual evaluations to really, really dig into what's going on with somebody. What do they want to do? You know, how do they see themselves? You know, to see if there are any latent things there that we can work on that would let them to let them develop their skills in that area. But sometimes it takes it takes some, um, you know, kind of like being a gardener. You, you have to you have to plant some seeds sometimes for some people to recognize that they have that ability to flower and in leadership. Kathy, I'm, I'm going to echo that thought by a little bit of experience, my experience. So in all the work that we did for the Academy and that I did for the Academy, what I found is consistently when you're at a committee meeting and I've been a member and a chair of um, various committees, is that you have two sets of people. And so you're in this room with all these really bright people, very articulate people, good thinkers. And the dividing line is people who are very vocal and people who are not as vocal, but more listeners, right? Mm -hmm. So what I realized is personally, I can be a really great listener and in the end, actually kind of contribute significant things. You know, I'm not tooting my own horn. I just discovered that about myself. And I think that's what you were referring to is, you know, the, the styles of leadership are very varied. There are extroverts who are superb leaders or introverts that mm -hmm. can be great leaders as well and everything in between. And it's just a matter of people speaking up when they feel they have something that is valuable to say because everybody brings it a pertinent perspective. I think what you're at those tables. Yeah, and I, I have to say, I mean, I'm not I'm not polishing up or anything, but but 
one of the wonderful things that I got to do with working for the Academy during those years was to watch people who had leadership skills and watch them. And you were one of the people I watched. Um, you know, how does Mike do this in such a quiet, laid back manner, um, but clearly had control of the room. I mean, clearly, you know, um, more so than other people, um, I would say. But it was, but it was always wonderful to be able to, and that's one of the opportunities that people can give themselves is to volunteer for committees to do things like that and watch, you know, watch how people do this stuff, and you learn so much by watching them. It's just great. I attribute that to I'm big and scary looking, and I have Italian last name. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> This concludes part one of this two-part episode of the USP podcast. Tune into part two for more pearls of wisdom from Dr. Kathy Bell in regards to leadership.